So today for our sermon, we're going to be continuing in Philippians. We've been in this series, in this book of the Bible for a few weeks now. We're actually going to finish it up because we've got an Easter-themed series coming up. I know it still seems like it's February, is Easter that close, but but it is. It's coming up quickly, and I wanted to do a little uh, sort of Easter series, sort of especially Christ-themed series. Every series is focused on Christ. It's on Scripture. It's focused on Christ. But really digging into the Gospels and looking at the life and ministry of Christ leading up to Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter. So we're going to have that coming up. So we'll be, we'll be wrapping up Philippians uh, this, this week, this day, today. And we're going to be in chapter 4, so you can turn there in your Bibles. Maybe you're already there, ready to read. Uh, we'll be looking at verses 4 through 9, and before we get to reading, I just want to sort of speak to this passage, kind of what it's about, give us kind of the, the big picture here. And it would be easy to look at these verses, verses 4 through 9 in chapter 4, and think, you know, it just sort of feels like miscellaneous commands, exhortations on, on Paul's part, sort of like, okay, he's getting here to the end of his letter to the Philippian church, uh, and it's just sort of like, oh, you know, like, what have I forgotten to say thus far? You know, I've talked about a lot, but now maybe there are a few scattered things that I haven't mentioned. I'll just sort of like tack those on at the end, kind of miscellaneous things. It could sort of feel like that, uh, but that's not sort of what's going on in Paul's mind is kind of like, what have I forgotten? I'll, I'll just sort of throw on a few extra commands there at the end, make sure you're doing these things, Philippian believers. That, that's sort of not his mindset but rather his mindset is that he wants them to be living the full Christian life. And what I mean by that is to, to be all that they ought to be and live out all that they ought to live out as Christians, as followers of Christ. Sort of everything it is to be a follower of Christ, everything it is to live that out and live for him, right? He wants them to be doing that. Now, they're not going to do that perfectly in this life. We know that. We still struggle with sin in our lives, even as Christians. We won't be made perfect until we die and, and go to be with the Lord. But nonetheless, that's sort of like the ideal picture of what he has in mind. You know, here are my spiritual children, this church that I've planted. I, I just want you to be all that the church ought to be. I want you as believers to be all that you ought to be and live out all that you ought to live out, to live that, that full Christian life. And so that's sort of the big picture of what he has in mind. And then he gives sort of some specific commands with that in view that are particularly relevant for the Philippian church. So these aren't sort of random miscellaneous things that he just sort of happens to pick as he's closing his letter, but he has in view, I want you to be all that you ought to be as Christ followers. I want you to live out all that you ought to live out as followers of Christ. And so with that in view, sort of knowing you, Philippian church, maybe knowing sort of where you're weak or where you're struggling, these are the things in particular that I'm going to highlight and sort of call you to, these commands, exhortations I'm going to give you. So that's sort of what's going on here. We can kind of have that in our minds as we read through this passage. So let's, let's go there now and read Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 4. And Paul writes, and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Right. So very emphatically, it's sort of like it's not enough just to say it once, rejoice in the Lord always. It's like, I've got to say it again, rejoice. So this is very emphatic. And, and what he's saying here, again, thinking the big picture, sort of the full Christian life, what we ought to be, what we ought to live out, this is fundamentally a part of it. As followers of Christ, we ought to be characterized by joy. We should have joy overflowing in our hearts at all times, not just sort of sometimes when things are going good. He doesn't say that. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And the source of that enduring joy that ought to characterize us as Christ followers is the Lord. It's not 
rejoice in all your material possessions. Sort of the way the world thinks, the way the world operates is sort of, you know, uh, seek joy in, in material possessions, in comforts, in all of those luxuries in life. That's sort of the, 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 the mindset of the world. Try to acquire for yourself lots of things and, and have lots of fun experiences and vacations. And that should be sort of the source of your joy. You have a nice house. You have a good flashy car. You know, you go on a cool trip to the Caribbean or whatever, and that should be sort of the source of your joy. That's the way the world thinks. And of course, naturally, when suddenly those things are taken from you, maybe you have lots of money and you can afford those things. And then the stock market turns and now you're like, oh no, I don't have all those resources and all those things I was looking to for joy, for happiness in my life. Well, now they're gone and now you're miserable and you're depressed and so forth. Uh, and so for other people, it's not really true joy that they're experiencing, but sort of their, their happiness that they might at times experience in life, they're sort of seeking in, in material things that may come and go at times. But Paul says, no, your, your joy is to be in the Lord, fundamentally in him, just rejoicing in him and in every spiritual blessing that we have in him, that we're his, that we're his children, that we have fellowship with him, we belong to him, we have communion with him, we have a close relationship with him, that we have forgiveness, salvation, life everlasting, that we will dwell with him forever and ever and ever in the fullness of his presence and, and glory in eternity. This should be a source of, of just enduring joy for us in life. And again, these are things that, 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 we, that can't be taken from us. They're sure, they're secure in Christ Jesus. And so we can rejoice in them and should be rejoicing in them at all times, right? Even if sort of on the surface, just look at sort of Paul's circumstances, right? He's under house arrest. If you think of sort of what's going on on the surface in life, he could look at that and say, oh, you know, things aren't going well for me. I'm under house arrest, awaiting trial and so forth, you know, not so great. And yet, undoubtedly, at that time, Paul could say, I'm, I'm filled, filled with just such unfathomably great joy, and it's a joy in the Lord. I, I, don't, I don't care what's going on on the surface. I don't care that I'm under house arrest. That's not what I'm looking to for joy. I'm looking to the Lord. My joy is in him and, and in every blessing, spiritual blessing that I have in him, and that's all sure and secure, and no one can take that from me. And so I'm just enduringly rejoicing in that. And so he's reminding the Philippians, rejoice at all times and rejoice in the Lord. And why does he particularly single this, this specific command and exhortation out here, right? There's so much of, of sort of, you think of all the elements of living the full Christian life. Well, why does he happen to pick this one? Why does he specifically mention this? Well, the Philippians, he actually references this earlier in his letter. Uh, they're experiencing some difficulties. They're facing opposition from outside the church, from, from non-Christians around them. They're facing opposition, some persecution. We don't know the specifics of that, but, but there was some sort of persecution and opposition. You could sort of imagine in that context that perhaps those hardships and persecution, that opposition, maybe they've sort of been letting that beat them down a little bit in life and let that they've let that sort of steal their joy in the Lord a bit. And so you can imagine that happening and Paul recognizing, yeah, they're facing these hardships and maybe they're sort of losing that sense of joy in the Lord uh, that they ought not to be losing. And so I'm going to remind them of this and, and call them to this, that they should be rejoicing at all times. Even when the world around them is against them and opposing them, they ought to be filled with joy, joy in the Lord enduringly. So rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And then he goes on, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And the word here for gentleness, it can be translated various ways. Your translation could be different. Some say gentleness. 
Uh, others will translate it graciousness. I think that's the best translation. Others will say uh, reasonableness or forbearance or kindness, you know, and those are all decent translations, but I think graciousness really well captures the, the Greek word that's used here. Uh, that's really what it speaks of, is, is sort of treating others with graciousness. Uh, that's the sense of it. You know, at times, you know, even within the church, people are at times going to mess up. You know, maybe they're going to rub you the wrong way or irritate you. Maybe they're going to wrong you. That's going to happen at times. And Paul's saying here, you know, how are you to engage with them? How are you to respond to them with graciousness? We should be extending grace to one another. And again, so abundantly that it's like, it's evident to all. That's what he says. Not just be gracious, but let your graciousness be evident to all. It's like you're so overflowing with grace toward others uh, that it's just everyone can see it. And he continues on, the Lord is near. And what he sort of has in mind here, meaning the Lord's coming soon, you know, we don't know when, but, but sort of his, his coming is, is approaching. Every moment that goes by, we're a moment closer to it, and he could come at any moment. And what Paul sort of has in mind here is sort of giving them a little bit of an added motivation, right? At any moment, Christ could return. And when he returns, uh, you want for him to find you living faithfully for him. You know, as you stand before him, you don't want to hear, well, yeah, you're forgiven and saved. You do want to hear that. But then you don't want to hear sort of the add-on of, but you didn't really live for me. You didn't really live that faithfully. But rather what you want to hear, of course, is that you're forgiven, you're saved, you have saving faith in me. But also on top of that, you live wonderfully faithfully for me, obeying my commands. Certainly we know, not perfectly, but, but quite faithfully you lived in service to me, obeying my commands right? That's what we want to hear. And so Paul sort of keeping that in their minds, remember the Lord's coming back. It could be at any point. And, and when he shows up, you want for, for you to be living faithfully in service to him at that time, rather than sort of like, you know, wishy-washy, you know, you love the Lord, you belong to him, but you're not really living that faithfully. So that's sort of an added motivator that he's giving them uh, here to live out these exhortations he's giving to them. And again, you know, to, to speak to, well, why does he highlight here, let your graciousness be evident to all? Why does he single this one out? Because again, there's lots of elements of, of living the full Christian life, all that we're supposed to be and live out as, as followers of Christ. And certainly this is one of those elements we are to live out. If we're being all that we ought to be as Christians and living out all that we ought to live out, we're going to be living out graciousness toward others, reflecting that gracious character of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, certainly. But why does he highlight this and single this out? We'll sort of rewind to chapter two and sort of call forth to, to your minds some of what characterized the Philippian church. Uh, these are things that sort of Paul speaks to, remember, as he talks about, you know, them working towards spiritual healing uh, in the church, as you may remember from prior sermons in this series. Uh, he speaks of them as characterized by selfish ambition uh, empty pride, sort of living only for their own self-interest rather than looking to the interests of others. These are sort of the things that characterize the Philippian church that he speaks to. And if you think of that, that doesn't exactly sound like a group of Christians who are really exhibiting graciousness in how they interact with others, right? It sounds like quite the opposite. So, so quite clearly here, this is something that they're struggling with as a church. They're not really being gracious toward one another. Uh, and that's, again, being gracious is part of being what we ought to be, living out what we ought to live out as followers of Christ. And so he speaks to this. This is an area of weakness of theirs. And so he speaks to it and says, let your graciousness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So reading on verse six, do not be anxious about anything, 
But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to sort of pick this apart and, and sort of, you know, what's going on here, what's being said. But first of all, I want to speak to, to the context. Again, why does he single out this issue of anxiety? Why does he sort of give this specific exhortation? Well, again, remember the Philippians, they were facing opposition from those outside of the church. We don't know the specifics, but some sort of hardship, persecution, opposition from those on the outside. And you can imagine that might cause a little bit of anxiety to well up in those believers. You know, we got people all around us and they hate us. They don't like us. They're opposing us at every turn, persecuting us. Uh, that can cause a bit of worry and anxiety. And so he addresses this issue of, of being anxious and sort of how are we to respond. And so he says, do not be anxious about anything. I'll read it for us again, and then we'll kind of pick it apart. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Right, so anxiety, that, that isn't a part of the full Christian life, right? If, if we're really being all that we ought to be, living out all that we ought to live out, we shouldn't be characterized by anxiety in our lives, but rather here's what he's saying we ought to do, is that anxiety maybe begins to creep in a little bit, whether caused by opposition from those outside the church or just the things of life. Maybe it's financial concerns or marital issues or whatever anxiety starts to creep in. Here's what he says to do to bring it to the Lord in prayer. To put it simply, that's what he says. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So if you're worried about something, maybe this is, as I said, those people on the outside of the church persecuting them. Maybe it's something else. Whatever your worry is, whatever this concern is, just bring it to the Lord in prayer. Put it in his hands. Say, God, you know, this is outside of my control. Your God, your Lord, your sovereign. And I know you care for me and you care about this situation. And I'm just going to put this in your hands and trust in you uh, to work it all out as, as you see fit and your goodness and just put it in his hands. And to do so as well with thanksgiving. I think uh, worth noting here, you know, that, that Paul mentions this. I think Oftentimes, maybe we can have sort of a tunnel vision of whatever that thing is that's sort of causing that worry and that anxiety, and we sort of see that, that one thing that's not going the way that we want, that's causing that concern. And Paul's sort of saying, still recognize that, that God has blessed you in so many ways, and don't just focus on the one worry that you have and that thing that isn't going the way you want, but rather recognize all those blessings and give him thanks for it. So again, thanksgiving, that's part of being all that we ought to be, having that gratitude toward God and, and giving him thanks, doing what we ought to do as followers of Christ. But so I want to continue on. So thus far, right, Paul has said, you know, don't be anxious about it. If, if you see that anxiety starting to well up within you, just bring it to the Lord in prayer, trust in him, right? Bring it to him in prayer. And then he goes on and says, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding or surpasses all understanding, different wording for that, but meaning the same thing, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the typical way of, of understanding this would say, uh, basically, the peace of God, this wonderful peace that God gives you, which sort of it, it transcends or surpasses all understanding, like it sort of like it blows your mind. You can't even wrap your mind around the extent and greatness of this peace, right? It's like it's, it's just too much for your mind to really grasp and fathom. And while that I would say that's theologically true, that is a factual statement, that isn't actually what is being said in this verse, right? That's, that's factually true. I'm not saying that's untrue, but it's just not what Paul is saying here. Rather, he's saying, in the peace of God, which surpasses, a better way to translate this is surpasses uh, 
all planning, that is all human planning, surpasses in regard to effect. That is, it's more effective at dealing with this anxiety that you have, right? You're worrying about something, and he's saying, if you go to God and just place it in his hands, if you just say, you know, God, this is outside of my power, my control, you're the one who's sovereign, I, I just, I, I trust in you, I'm going I'm to bring it to you in prayer, put it in your hands, trust in you to, to work it all out for good, that is far more at, effective at relieving that anxiety. It brings this wondrous peace that's like, God's got it. You know, God's got it. He loves me. He is good. I've put it in his hands and, and, and I know he's got it. And there's just a peace that comes from the Lord there as you put it in his hands. And that's far more effective at relieving the anxiety than saying, I just got a plan. I've got this thing that I'm worried about. And if I just put together some sort of human plan, then it'll be okay. And I won't be worried about this. I won't be all anxious. Uh, that's what's being said here, that, that when we just put it in God's hand, it's more effective. It surpasses any human planning when it comes to uh, relieving that anxiety, which, of course, it's just sort of makes perfect sense and is logical, right? Our natural inclination at times is to plan. Something's worrying us. Again, maybe in this case, it's uh, all those people on the outside of the church. They're against us. They're opposing us. Maybe it's financial issues, people worrying about food, I, you know, how am I going to have enough food for myself and my spouse and my kids and so forth. Whatever it is that they're, they're worrying about, often the natural response is, I need to plan. And there's a place for using our minds. God has given us minds and reasons, men mental faculties to use. And so I'm not saying we can't ever plan. You know, if you have financial difficulties, yeah, be wise, make a budget, etc. But fundamentally, we need to be putting it in the Lord's hands and trusting in him. But when fundamentally you're just trusting in yourself and your own plan. I got financial difficulties, so I'm going to put this budget together. I think I worked it all out. And so maybe now there's like a little sigh of relief of, oh, the anxiety's gone away a little bit. I think I can manage this. But then still in the back of your mind, you realize, but I'm not in control of everything. And my financial situation could change at, at any moment. Like the transmission in my car could just blow up and poof, there goes my budget. We know we're not in control of things. Sometimes we like to have the illusion of control as though we're sovereign and got everything in control in our lives. But we realize that's outside of our power. And so no matter how much we plan, it doesn't really take all of that anxiety away. It might lessen it a little bit because we fool ourselves into thinking, I've got it. But even fundamentally beneath the surface, we know I don't really got it. I'm not really in control of it all. And that anxiety still remains and that worry still remains, right? But when we just go to God and say, you've got it. Yeah, I can still make my budget and do that. But fundamentally, I'm bringing it to you in prayer, knowing it's in your hands. You're in control. You're sovereign. You're good. You're loving then there's just a peace that comes from that. And that, that anxiety just sort of melts away and it's gone. And that peace from the Lord there, as we put it in his hands, that's far more effective at relieving anxiety than human planning. That's what's being said there. And he goes on, we'll guard your hearts, right? And the peace of God, which surpasses all human planning, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Again, guard you from that anxiety. That's what's being said. So then going on, we get to verse 8 here, and he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Right? To put it simply, think about what's good. And again, this is part of the full Christian life. If we're being what we ought to be, living out what we ought to live out, we're going to be focused on what's good rather than what's filthy and evil and wrong. 
But, but he doesn't have it in mind just in that sense. That's part of it. Yeah, focus on what's good. As God's people, that's what we should do. Focus on what's good, not on what's, what's bad. Focus your mind on good things. But he also has in mind the sense of sort of what, what you take in and what you focus on has a way of sort of rubbing off on you. And if you're focused on that, which is evil and filthy and bad and wrong, it's going to rub off on you in, in a bad way. Whereas if you focus on whatever's good and pure and noble and, you know, all of that, if you're focusing on what's good, that's going to rub off on you in a good way. And again, thinking of well, what is good, most notably, it's God himself. Focus on the Lord. Spend time with him. Be in prayer. Be in his word. Focus on his word, his commands, the truth of the gospel. Focus on these good things. And again, as you do that, as you focus on what's good, the Spirit's going to work in that time and bring transformation and bring spiritual growth in your life. And so this is what Paul has in mind. It, you know, in the, the prior part of this passage, he's sort of focused on specific commands, specific elements, right? Rejoicing or, or being gracious to others uh, or, or don't be anxious, but, but when you're anxious about things, bring it to the Lord in prayer. But now he sort of has more of a general perspective, again, of sort of living the full Christian life, being what we ought to be, living out what we ought to live out. And he's saying toward that end, if you want to be all that you ought to be and live out what you ought to live out, well, you need to grow spiritually. And one of the ways that's going to happen is well, when you're just focused on what's good, when you focus on the Lord, his word, the spirit's just going to work, grow you spiritually so that you might be more of what you ought to be and live out more of what you ought to live out. You might more live the full Christian life. And then he goes on here, verse 9, wrapping up the passage. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Right, Paul's saying here, basically, I've laid before you the pattern of what it is to live the full Christian life, to be a follower of Christ, to live that out day in and day out. I've taught it to you. Right? I, when I was there in Philippi, I taught it to you. I'm, I've, I'm writing a letter to you now speaking to these things. I have taught you in many ways what it is to live the full Christian life. But not only have I taught you with words, whether in person or in letters, but, but I've also shown you with how I've lived my life. That's what he says there. What have you heard? have learned or received or heard in me, but then he goes on, or seen in me, right? Like, you saw what I lived out. You've seen the pattern of my life. Not that Paul would say he's lived it perfectly, right? He'd be first to say, no, I'm not perfect. I've sinned. I mess up all the time, right, of course. But, but to a high degree of faithfulness, Paul has sort of shown the way in regard to living the full Christian life. He's taught about it, but he's also greatly modeled it, though not perfectly, but greatly modeled what it is to live the full Christian life and be what we ought to be and live out what we ought to live out. And so he says, put that into practice, right? As I've taught you about living the full Christian life, as I've modeled it, the more you follow what I've taught you and what I've modeled for you, then the more you'll be living the full Christian life. And then he goes on and says, and the God of peace will be with you. That is, if you are living more fully this full Christian life, being what you ought to be, living out what you ought to live out, well, what's going to come about? Well, the God of peace will be with you. That is, there'll be a greater nearness of God to you in your life. You'll have a closer relationship, a closer walk with the Lord, right? And that should be our heart's desire as followers of, of Christ Jesus our greatest desire should be, I just want the Lord, and I just want more of him and his presence in my life. I just want to be drawn closer to him. I just want to have a closer and deeper and more intimate 
walk with him and relationship with him. And Paul's saying, you know, here's how you're going to get it. The more you grow spiritually and, 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 and live out the full Christian life, the more you are what you ought to be and live out what you ought to live out as a follower of Christ, the more God will draw near to you and you'll have a close relationship with him, a close walk with him. But he doesn't just say, and God will be with you. But, but he says, and the God of peace will be with you, right? And, and the significance to this, and he's saying, not just will God be with you, with you there'll be a greater nearness of God in, in your life, right? You'll have a closer walk with him, but there'll also be a greater peace from the Lord, rooted in the Lord in your life, right? And sort of what is this peace from the Lord that, that, that you'll experience in a greater way as you are more fully living the full Christian life? Well, again, if you're living more fully the Christian life, sort of being more what you ought to be as a follower of Christ and living out more what you ought to live out as a follower of Christ, follower of Christ, again, think that's going to involve great spiritual growth, growing in love for God, growing closer to him and in your heart for him, growing in just sort of your desire for, for God in your life and to be drawn closer to him. And in a sense, what will be cultivated more and more in your mind and in your heart will be the sense of all I really care about, all I really want is just the Lord. That, that's all that, that I'm just sort of focused on. That's what's on my mind, what's in my heart. I just, I just want the Lord and more of the Lord in my life. And that's what you're going to get. And there's going to be a, a greater peace that comes from that. Is in your heart as you grow closer to the Lord, as you're more and more what you ought to be as a follower of Christ, as you're just more and more satisfied in him. And God is just the center of everything. And it's sort of like, he's all I care about. And all I want is just to be with him. And then as he's closer to you in your life, that's going to be the outflow that Paul talks about. There's going to be just this great peace and contentment and satisfaction and joy that comes from that with this mindset of, of I just want the Lord. That's all I care about. And I have it. I have a close walk with him. He has drawn closer and closer and closer to me. I have this deep, intimate walk with the Lord. And that's really all I want in life. I just want the Lord and more of him. And I have him in my life. I'm a child of his. He's my God. And I'm close to him. And there'll be just such a peace and contentment and joy in life that comes from that. And so that's what he's saying here, right? And the God of peace will be with you. God will draw closer to us. We'll be drawn into a closer relationship with him. And we will have just this great peace in the Lord as well. Just such great peace and contentment in him and joy in him. But so now I want to kind of come back looking at the passage as a whole. And again, this is all about living the full Christian life here. All that it is to be a follower of Christ. All that it is to live that out. This is what Paul has in view. But again, he does highlight some specifics, and I want to highlight these for us. Certainly, uh, I want to challenge us. Paul's desire for the Philippian church is that they would live the full Christian life. But it's not just for the Philippian church. Those are the ones he's writing to. But his desire for Christians everywhere is to live the full Christian life. He wants Christians everywhere to be all that they ought to be and live out all that they ought to live out as Christ followers. And that's his desire for us as well as followers of Christ. It's my desire for, for you, for me, for all of us as a church to live the full Christian life in every way, be what we ought to be, live out what we ought to live out. Uh, but I want to highlight some of those specifics that Paul highlights. Uh, and he mentions rejoicing in the Lord. And again, I want to challenge us to, to live out the full Christian life in every way, but all, specifically in this regard, I want us just to be so filled with joy in the Lord, not looking to the things of this life, material possessions, comforts, uh, to be a source of joy to us, but just to look to the Lord to be our source of joy and find great joy and peace and contentment in him and in every spiritual blessing that we have in him. 
He also talks about graciousness. And again, I want us to be living that out. And I think we do that pretty well here at New Hope Chapel. But, but again, to just challenge us to grow, to, to show graciousness all the more, ever increasingly to one another and to all people everywhere. Uh, he also talks about anxiety, you know, and I think that's something that, that probably generally just our world, our society struggles with probably more than in prior generations. Anxiety just sort of seems to be rampant and, and all over the place and something that people seem to struggle with a lot. And Paul says, hey, you know, we don't need to be anxious and we shouldn't be anxious as, as followers of Christ. We should just, as any concerns and worries come into our lives, we just got to go to the Lord, bring it to him in prayer and just trust in him and experience great peace in knowing our good and awesome and loving and sovereign God. He's got it. He's in control. He'll take care of it and work it for good in our lives. But then also to, to focus on whatever's good, Paul highlights that, right? It's what we ought to be doing as, we're, as, as followers of Christ, but also with sort of spiritual growth in mind. Focus on what's good. Focus on the Lord. Focus on his word. And as we do that, the Spirit's just going to move and work and bring transformation in our lives and our hearts and grow us spiritually. And again, then Paul sort of wraps it up and sums up this passage uh, by saying, hey, guys, I, I've laid before you a pattern of what it is to live the full Christian life. I've taught you about it. Uh, and he says, I've also lived it in front of you. And he says, follow my example. And really, he can say the same to us, even if we didn't sort of firsthand see Paul and see him living out his life. We have his teaching. We have it here in Philippians and his other letters. We have the teaching of Paul. And so he can still say, hey, all that I've taught you, even if it wasn't face to face, but, but written in, in scripture, he say, follow it. And even if we didn't see his example firsthand, we have it recorded for us. We have it recorded in Acts. Uh, we also have Paul speaking to it as well in, in some of his epistles. And so we have the example. We have Paul's teaching. We have his example to follow after. But I think not just of Paul, but even for, for other godly men or women in our lives that we look at and we say, man, they're, they're not perfect to be sure, but they're quite well living the full Christian life. They are in a great way what, it, what they ought to be as followers of Christ, and they're living that out. Right? Any godly men and women are in our lives, we can look to their example and follow after that, the pattern that they have set. Certainly, they don't set the example perfectly, but nonetheless, if they live it out quite well and faithfully, follow their example. But again, coming back to, to the big picture, I, I just want to see us being all that we ought to be as followers of Christ and living out all that we ought to live out as followers of Christ. And, and Paul reminds us, if we do that, right, we're going to have a closer walk with the Lord. He's going to be nearer to us in our lives, that close walk with him, that close relationship with him. And not only that, there will be a greater peace in our lives in the Lord as well. And also, if we do it, God's just going to be wondrously glorified in our lives. The more we're, we're living the full Christian life, the more we're going to be glorifying God in our lives. And so I just want to close now this sermon by challenging us. Let's do it. Let's grow day after day in living the full Christian life for the Lord and knowing there'll be blessing for us as well. Amen. And let's pray. Lord, thank you for this passage and for Paul's teaching here, which is your teaching, inspired by you, Holy Spirit. And we thank you for it, for this reminder and this call to live out the full Christian life, with Paul highlighting certain elements of that, that we would do well to live out and ought to live out. But even thinking of the big picture, that in every element and aspect of 
what we ought to be as your people, Lord Jesus, as your followers, what we should be living out, what we should be characterized by on the inside as well. Uh, We want that, Lord. We want to grow in that regard. We want to grow in the fullness of the Christian life. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just do that work within us, that we would seek to be transformed on the inside, that we might be more of what we ought to be, but then also that that would impact how we live out our lives, that we might better live out all that we ought to live out. And so I pray that we would take this seriously, this challenge, and seek to live the full Christian life more fully in our lives as individuals, but also collectively as a church. And as we do that, Lord, we know this blessing for us, a close relationship with you, more peace in our lives. But most importantly, Lord, you will be glorified in it. And that's what everything is about, you and your glory. And so may you be glorified in it. In Christ's name, amen.